Well, good morning again. Aaron told you uh, before he sang that song. I think that is the second time we've sang that song. I do like that song for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and I know the one line in the song, maybe if it's the first time you've heard it, first time uh, that you have sung it, um, caught you off guard. I've got to be honest, the reason I think I like that song so much is because... Um, Anytime heaven has met earth, it has not been neat, it has not been clean, and it has not been pretty. You know, and I think that that conveys that to me. That's one of the reasons I like it so much. You think about Jesus being born, right? Born in a feeding trough. There's nothing clean, neat, or pretty about that. Um, you think about Jesus' death on the cross. There is certainly not anything neat, clean, or pretty about that. I think it's a great picture um, of so often when heaven has met earth what it has looked like. And, and the big reason I like it is the thing I think about, I think more than anything else, is the way that he loves us. You can't think about that and not be stirred. I just did a thing with the youth. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks going over the first part of Hosea. Um, read the first three chapters of Hosea sometime if you want to know how much God loves you. And make sure you do the right thing, which is put yourself in the, in the place of Gomer, okay, the prostitute. Because that's what we are, right? We are the adulterers. We are the ones that have betrayed God, and Hosea pursued her. And it's a wonderful picture of God pursuing us. Um, and uh, it's anything but clean and neat there either. But, but that idea of how he loves us, I love that song. So I appreciate Aaron being willing to do that. Hey, last week, we looked at verses 13 to 18. We're almost done with 1 Corinthians, right? It's been like a year and a half or more that we've been in 1 Corinthians. And so today we get to finish. Um, and, and so I'm going to finish that up with you. It seems like I get the tail end of all these books. I'm not sure why. This is the third or fourth time that I've caught the very end, but that's okay. Um, if you remember last week, there were, there were a couple of big things Chris told you or pointed out from verses 13 to 18. I'm going to review those. I'm not going to lie to you. One of the reasons I'm reviewing it, if you've seen the last four verses that Chris left me, you would know why we're going to review 13 to 18 in some depth. Uh, basically, I could preach for 30 seconds on the verses I got. Here it goes. Everyone greets you. Kiss each other in a holy way. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. You need Jesus. Take care. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's pretty much what's going on here. We're going to expand on it a little bit. But uh, I, I think what he talked about last week was really good. And I want to review it as quickly as I can. There are a couple things going on, he told us. One of them um, were these summary principles for the church. And they're summary principles for us today. These were in verses 13 and 14, I believe. The first one was this idea of being on the alert, right? And he talked about how that was a, that was a good thing for them to hear. It's a good thing for us to hear. Certainly, the church then, there was a lot to be on the alert for. Uh, the church is just beginning, so any type of false gospel that's brought in could have just really been dangerous. And we need to be on alert for that today as well. But certainly back then, uh, they need to be on the alert for persecution, things that maybe we don't face. Uh, but there is some implication, application for us as well. I think that we need to be on the alert um, here at First Baptist Church. I think we need to be on alert uh, as to the condition of our family I think we need to be on alert to the condition of our church. I think we need to be on alert to the condition of our community. We need to have our eyes open, uh, see what's going on around us, so that we can do what the second principle was, which is stand firm in the faith. 
right? And, and if you remember, Chris said that standing firm in the faith had a lot to do with um, good biblical theology and sound doctrine, and certainly that we need that as well. Um, but I, I think it also means don't retreat. Um, I was thinking about this last week as Chris, Chris was talking about it. And, and I would say that, stand firm in the faith, don't retreat. If you love Jesus, don't stop loving Jesus, right? So many people uh, seem to have all the Jesus they want or all that they think that they need, and, and it's truly a shame. And so, so don't stop, right? Don't, don't stop. Don't retreat away from that love that you have for Christ. I think it also means that we need to stand our ground. Um, and I know that all of this is written to men or women, but as I went through this and wrote some things, uh, it just seemed to, in my mind that I was talking more to the men today. Um, and, and it's not just for men, but, but I'm going to say that right now, especially to the guys. Um, man, stand firm in the faith, right? Stand your ground. I've, I've talked, I, I work with the teenagers a lot, and, and I know the commitments some of these kids make. Um, and, and some of them have committed. You know, they're, they're of course, unmarried. Um, but someday they plan on being married, and, and they want to treat their future spouse with, spouse with respect and with dignity and with love. Um, and, and so don't retreat from that. Stand your ground in that, right? Stand firm in that commitment. Many of you in here are already married, and, and you're loving your wife well and loving your husband well, and, and you're faithful to him or you're faithful to her, uh, and, and you're serving him or you're serving her. And, and, and guys, especially, I would say, Man, don't retreat. Even though your buddies make fun of you, and I know they do, right? You love your wife well, and you serve your wife well. Um, your friends make fun of you, and, and they put you down. Um, stand firm. Stand your ground. Those guys are fools anyway that do that, right? I mean, they fall into basically two categories. Either they're married, and they don't love their wives well, and so that's why they say it, or they're not married, so they don't have a clue about what it's all about anyway, and so don't listen to them. Um, but, but, but do stand firm, you know, all of us don't, don't retreat. I love this idea of standing firm. If you know your Bible, if you know what's good, if you know what's right, if you know what's true, if you know what the father in heaven expects of his children, then, then stand firm in that. Right? So that was the second one. And in the third summary principle that I really liked, Paul says, act like men. Right? And I do. I really like that. He says, act like men. Um, and again, I will tell you, that Chris told me this, that there, was, there is no Greek word for adult like we have. And so when he says talk like men, they would have understood it back then to act like adults. But I'm going to go after the men because it says men in my Bible. So act like men. Um, and I, I want to say this because we know what it means to, to act like adults. Okay. Um, but, but for our guys and for me, me as well, when you hear that, Act like men. I don't know if I don't know if if we always if we always know what the what the take of that. I think because so many people act like men means be the opposite of a woman. Right? I know what a woman is, and so I'm going to be everything opposite of what a woman is. And so if my wife says she loves me, I don't say that. If my wife prays with the children, I don't pray with the children. Anything my wife does, I'm not going to do because being a man is the opposite of being a woman. And that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, right? God created men and women, both with the same emotions. And, and, and while we may express those in masculine and feminine ways, being a man is not the opposite of being a woman. If you think that, you're a fool. Um, other guys, Chris mentioned this last week, 
kind of go the other direction and they hear this act like men and suddenly they, they puff up their chest like thugs and bullies and bad boys um, and, and they think being a man is being loud or being intimidating and being aggressive and, and I would say this if you hear that anytime you hear act like men this is to the guys anytime you hear act like men if that's your first thought to be intimidating and loud and aggressive um, I want you to know there is something profoundly wrong and evil in that thought and you need to repent you need to change because being a man is not about those things at all. If we want to know what perfect man, if we want to look to the perfect man, all we have to do is look to Jesus, right? Jesus shows us how to lead, how to provide, how to protect. And, and so that's what we do. Act like men. Look, look to Jesus. And listen, I think it's important today, especially that we do that. I don't watch a whole lot of TV other than Sports Center, um, But every now and then I'll flip through. And the truth of the matter is... If you look at the average sitcom on TV today, men are made out to be fools. They absolutely are, and it's a shame. It's a shame that that's what it's become. But basically, men, especially dads, are portrayed as imbeciles and idiots on every sitcom there is on TV, right? The children and the dog are all smarter than dad is. Dad got us in a mess, and we can't get out of this mess. And that's, and that's unfortunate that that's the way it's portrayed. I want you to know just a few chapters earlier, it's in chapter 7. Paul writes, it's chapter 7, verse 11, if you want to look there sometime, talks about men. He says, he, man, is the image and glory of God. So I'm telling you guys that. He says, you are the image and glory of God. When's the last time you were told that? Right? The next time you think about acting a certain way or doing a certain thing that's not manly, that's not Christ-like, remember, you're supposed to be the image and glory of God. And so we need to be alert. We need to stand firm. And then last, we need to be strong. And Chris talked about this as well. Be strong, not just weightlifting strong, right? We've got all kinds of people that can bench press a small car and they can't train their children in anything right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about strength that comes only from Christ, right? And again, if I'm speaking to the men, and today I am, um, I would say strength to stand up to other, uh, to other men who are ungodly, right? Be willing to stand up, even to a person, to a man in this church, who doesn't love his wife well, who doesn't, who doesn't love his children well, who is lazy, who is dishonorable. I think that we, in Christ, in love, need to be willing to, to be strong and to talk to that guy and say, you know what, that's not how you love your wife, and that's not how you treat your children, and that's not how you work your job. That's not the way God's men act, and we need to have the strength to be able to do those things. So the summary principles were be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And then the second thing Paul did was he, he, he specifically mentions uh, some men and, and, he, and he comments about leadership that's going on, right? He calls out these three specific men who were worthy of recognition, recognition because um, of the way they were living their life. And do you remember what Chris said that they were addicted to? See, you guys weren't listening last week either, so I don't feel bad about not listening today. He said they were addicted to ministry, right? He said, these three guys are addicted to ministry. We hear about people all the time that are addicted to money or fame or porn or power or whatever it would be, right? What a wonderful thing to, be, to, to have someone say about us. That's a guy, that's a gal who's addicted to ministry. And he mentions these three and he talks about them. And I would say this, it's good for us to hear these stories of people like this in the Bible. And I would say it's good for us to tell stories about people that we know who are similar to this, right? And I want you to know there are a lot of folks at First Baptist Church, not perfect. There's nobody here that's perfect. 
there are a lot of folks at this church who have suffered and are suffering very well. There are a lot of folks in this church who have persevered and are persevering extremely well, who have served and are serving very well. And you need to tell them. You need to tell them. Don't text them. I'm so down on texting. I don't think I'm going to text for an entire month, okay? I am really down on texting. I'm going to talk about that later. Send them a note. Actually, get out a piece of paper. Some of you kids don't know. If you take a piece of paper and a pen, you can actually write letters on it and come up with a, with a letter, okay? Send them that. Send them a card. Call them. Go see them. Tell them in person, right? How many of you guys got to talk to Brad this morning? You get to stop by and talk to him and say hi. Good. If you didn't, come by and say, and say hi, right? Because one of the things, that's, that's one of the things that uh, from, my, from my life, um, knowing Brad as a person, as, as, a, as a man, as a father, as a, as a person who is a pastor along with me in this church, um, there are some things there that, that, are, that, that I see, um, and, and way to go, right? I talked to Susan Houghton on the phone the other night. Susan's in Michigan right now with a couple of her friends. You need to pray that they make it back. Anyway, Susan's been gone. Susan's been gone for several weeks, right? She had had surgery. And when I talked to her, I started to say, how are you doing? And all she talked about was this church and you. She wanted to know how you're doing. She wanted to know what's going on. And I'm telling you what, in her absence, way to go, right? Way, way to go. And we have so many folks, and you know who they are, right? Talk to them, tell them, and, and tell other people stories about it. It's good for us to hear about people who, who suffer well, who persevere who serve well. And so send them a card, do something, right? Tell them how much you appreciate the way they live out verses 13 and verses 14 of, of this chapter of 1 Corinthians, okay? So there we go. That's all review, right? And if you've looked at what Chris left me, you'll know why we reviewed for that long. Um, like I said, today we're going to finish 1 Corinthians. We've been in it for a while. Next week, when Chris comes back, He's going to do what he always calls the high-altitude flyover of the entire book. He's going to review 1 Corinthians with you, and he's going to talk about all of the different topics that came up. He wouldn't give me that. No, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. He left me these last four verses. So anyway, uh, we're going to get through these because there are some things in here that are really good for us. But you'll want to be here next week because it's been a long year and a half. It really has. And some of those things you have probably forgotten about. So hope you have your Bibles. If you do, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, we're going to start today in verse 19. So here we go. It says, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prissa. My translation says, that's Priscilla, it probably has that in some of yours. Greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come, and God, again, we are so grateful for this day, uh, a day that you have ordained, a day that you have given each of us. Um, God, I pray that today, as we conclude um, your word, your gift to us, uh, that God, you teach us, that you show us what you need to know, or what we need to know um, God, you gave us your word, not so that we could be a little bit smarter. Uh, God, it's here to change our lives. And so my prayer today is that it would do just that, that God, our hearts would be changed, um, that we would grow closer to you. We love you and praise you and pray this in your son's name. Amen.
All right, so here we go. Verses 19 and 20. Basically what's going on here in these two verses is that they just have this big greeting that's being conveyed to the Corinthian church. And it's a big deal, and I hope you see this as a big deal. Paul wanted the Corinthians to know that what they're doing is a really big deal because it's about God and it's for God and it's ordained by God. It really is a big deal, right? Sometimes we get this mentality of this is church. No, church is a big deal. And when I talked about it at the beginning of service, uh, our folks from here that are worshiping in Haiti, it's a big, it's a, it's a huge deal. It really is. And so I think Paul's trying to convey to them that, hey, you know what? You're not out there by yourself. There are a lot of us and we are praying for you and we are praying about you, and, and we are wanting to encourage you, and we are wanting to help you. Um, know that we are all in this together, right? And so he mentions these four groups. The first one, verse 19, it says the churches of Asia. This would have been like Asia Minor, which is probably a third of the known world at this time. It's a pretty big geographic area, places like Colossae and Ephesus, along with some other churches. But Paul's saying, hey, churches from this whole area, they send their greetings to you. The second one that are mentioned are Paul's good friends, Aquila and Priscilla, and we've heard of them before, right? Um, they were co-workers with Paul at Corinth and later on in Ephesus. We know Aquila and Priscilla. They are the husband and wife team that do ministry together. I'll tell you this. One of the things that's the greatest thing about what I get to do here at church is I get to do ministry so often with Stacy. It really is, without question, one of the greatest blessings in my life is being able to do ministry with her. And we're nowhere near, I'm not saying we're like Aquila and Priscilla, anything like that. I'm just telling you, if you're not doing ministry and you're married, do ministry with your spouse. There is a blessing in there like you can't believe. Partner with your spouse in ministry. If you're not married, do ministry with your best friend. Um, there, there, there's so much there. One of the reasons I love being on staff here so much, and Brad would tell you the same thing, all of them would, is that being on staff here is not about me doing ministry to this group away from the church. It's not. Being on staff here is ministry together. The great thing about it is, you know, we get labeled as the children's minister, the youth pastor, the missions pastor, these different things, and that's not how it's seen at all. We sit together. He, he prays about, asks about, encourages, worries as much about these guys as I do, right? And we are in this together. It's one of the greatest things to be able to do ministry with other people, and we see that in Aquila and Priscilla's life. I'll tell you another interesting thing about these two. You can look this up later. I think six times they're mentioned in the New Testament, and four of the six times this husband and wife team are mentioned together, she's mentioned first, which is, which is unusual to say the least. Um, it's very interesting, but I think it goes to show us uh, one thing for sure, how prominent of a role she had in ministry, how important she was to what was going on. And I think that, that there's an encouragement um, for all of us, but certainly for the ladies in here, right? Be involved. Sometimes Paul gets a bad rap of being anti-woman in ministry. It's not true, right? We see right here, it's not true at all. And so the church is in Asia, and then we get Aquila and Priscilla. And then the third group that Paul mentions as sending greetings is this specific house church that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's home, okay? And we're familiar with that. I got to tell you, I love the model that's presented by this house church that goes on in their home. I think it has merit today. I really do. I'm not saying we shut the doors here. Don't think I'm saying that. Okay. But I think there's, there's a lot of merit. Historically, the church has grown the fastest and, and evangelism um, has proven most effective in small fellowship type settings. It really has. Um, thinking, back to, thinking back to here at First Baptist Church, 
and, and I've not been here a long time, maybe 12 years. Um, you know, when I think about here, when there seems to have been just unbelievable growth happening extremely fast beyond anybody's uh, wildest dreams, uh, it seems like it, it oftentimes came on the heels of what went on in small group Bible study in Sunday school. There's something to be said for meeting in small groups, right? And again, we can look at the history of the church and see the value in that, right? And so if you're not involved in small group, you need to be, okay? Now, we got to be careful we don't take this too far. This small group doesn't become large, comfortable group, right? Because that can happen and we don't grow. One of the things that we see happen here, one of the things we got to witness in Haiti, which was so cool, but one of the things we see happen here is they would have this house church and then someone would leave and they would start another one, right? And that's the way small group is. You meet together in a small group, it grows, and then somebody leaves and they start another one. And it grows and someone leaves and they start another one. When we were in Haiti, Brady, you have to help me, but, but the place we went to church this time last year, we drove like an hour and a half out in the country. I'm telling you, we met in the middle of a... I almost said coconut bush. That shows you how agricultural I am. And a bunch of coconut trees. It wasn't even a building. There were a couple of sort of walls with a tent over the top. Um, but that's what this pastor does. He goes into that part of Haiti, and he finds just a group of people that live together, and he will start a church. And once the church gets up and going, he leaves. And he goes to another part out in the country, and he starts another church. And if I remember right, I may be wrong. I think he had started over 100 churches in Haiti. I think that's the number that stands. That's incredible. 100 different local churches that have started basically on this model, okay, this idea. And so I think that there's a lot of merit in this um, for, for us to, to kind of understand. But he says, this specific local church sends you greeting. And then the last, the fourth group is just the people who are, who are currently with Paul, right? They are immediately there with him. And so... He does this. He says, we send you greetings. And again, I think the idea is because he's saying, look, what you're doing is a really big deal. I hope you see that here. I hope you don't see this as, oh, it's what we do. No, it's, 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 it's a huge deal. Church is an unbelievably, unbelievably big deal. It is, so, it, it, it is so comforting to know that right now, as I stand right here before you, to know that 1,500 miles away, nine of our brothers and sisters are also in church because it's a really big deal. And we are worshiping the same God, not the God of First Baptist Church, right? The holy, righteous, sovereign God of all creation. That's who we get to worship together. And Paul is communicating that to them, okay? I want you to know one other thing, and this is just because we were fortunate enough to be there last year. Um, verses 19 and 20 is basically what happened for you this morning from Haiti. I kind of reread, I'm going to reread this and I'm going to change it a little bit. But after being there, I know that this is what was communicated from there to you today, all right, with our folks there. Basically, they would have said something like this to First Baptist Church The churches of Haiti greet you. Pastor Jean and Pastor Samson greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm telling you, that's the way it is viewed. It is not, here's just a random group of people that are down here for a week, right? It is the church, and it is the church together. And so Paul sends this to the Corinthians so that they get a sense of this and they understand this a little bit, right? And then we get this little part about the holy kiss. That's interesting. Um, I want you to know I looked it up. <laughs> I looked up what I could find about uh, 
greeting each other with a holy kiss. And I will say this, we have certainly distanced ourselves from the holy kiss today, right? We're lucky to get a smile and a hello as we walk by people. And sometimes if you want to have fun, sometimes just sit back and watch people greet each other. It's amazing the way we greet each other, right? Maybe a handshake, unless of course it's flu season and you're not going to get a handshake. Uh, You might get a wipe instead of a handshake so you clean your hands off. Uh, Maybe a high five if you're in this area. Uh, Certain areas, it's kind of like the head nod greeting. That's about all you get. Um, Maybe you get a hug. I got a hug this morning. I got a couple of hugs. It was funny. I was coming down. I saw Jennifer McSparren. She said, hey, are we going to greet each other with a holy kiss? And I said, nope, but I will greet you with a hug. Um, And so, but this was, this was customary for them to do. And I was thinking about, you know, we got a business meeting coming up. We got changes to the bylaws that are taking place. We can write this back in if you want to. If you guys want to write back in, greet with a holy kiss, that's fine with me. Here's what you need to know. It was man to man and woman to woman, okay? And so before you decide that you want some bylaw in our Constitution about this is how we'll greet each other, you might want to keep that in mind. Um, Here's the thing. Here's what we need to take from this is certainly times have changed and customs have changed, and that's okay, right? It's okay. But greet one another. There's what I would say, greet one another, right? Make it a holy greeting. But for it to be a holy greeting, there has to be a greeting. So often it's a race to my pew or it's a race to my section or it's a race to this. Take some time. Take some time to greet someone in a holy way. Let them know how grateful you are uh, that they're here and and for for their life. Uh, Man, greet them in a holy way, right? Verse 21, not a whole lot to say here. Says the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Paul did this a lot. Paul would dictate his letters. He didn't write these letters. He would dictate them to somebody. And then at the very end, Paul would take the pen and he would write the end of the letter so that they would know it was actually from him. In Galatians, I think he ends with something like, see with what large letters I am writing to you, okay? So this is customary for Paul to dictate his letters um, and then sign off on them at the end so that they knew it was from him. But I'll go back to what I said earlier. And take some time to write a letter. You know, honestly, I was, I was going through some stuff not too long ago, stuff from way back. Um, why I still have things from when I co- was in college, I don't know. I found a letter from my dad, right? I found a letter my dad wrote me when they, it, when they dropped me off in Chicago to go to school. I'm a hayseed from southern Illinois. I'd never been out of Saline County before. One day, one morning, my parents got up. We drove to Chicago got out of the car, it took them about 30 minutes to unload. They got back in the car and drove home, and there I was standing there, right? Um, and as I, as I went back in, I found a letter from my dad that he wrote me, and I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was so great then, but reading it today is, a, is one of the greatest things I have ever read. You don't keep your stinking text messages, right? The inbox gets full, and you get rid of all of them. I'm telling you, Sit down some time and, and invest that amount of time and write someone a letter. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. We've lost that. We are kind of an instant communication age with uh, no real commitment to it, and I hate that. I really do. So I expect a letter from you guys sometime soon. All right? <laughs> then we get to the last four verses. We're about done, right? The last four, or I'm sorry, the last three verses. Um, and the thing, the first thing I want us to see in verse 22, 3, and 4 is, is what Paul gives us, because he gives us Jesus, right? Four times in these three verses, 
Paul talks about Jesus. And that's exactly what we would expect Paul to talk about because he loves Jesus and he loves the Corinthians. And so that's why he's going to, right? That's why we, from this pulpit, we talk about Jesus because we love Jesus and we love you. Take a look at what he says in verse 22. He says, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed for Ranatha. It's really interesting, right? He says, If anyone does not love the Lord, that's Jesus, then a curse be on him. The word for curse is anathema. There's a play on words here that you don't get in our modern translation. Okay? Basically what Paul does is he uses the word anathema and then follows it up with the word maranatha. Okay? So it's kind of a play on words that we'll get to in a minute. But I want to stick with this a second because basically I think here's what Paul is saying. He's saying you're in church, right? Right now, you are in church, but do you love Jesus? Okay? You're in church, but do you love Jesus? Because if you don't, you're an anathema. If you don't, there is a curse on you. Right? Let that sink in. You're in church, but do you love Jesus? Because if you don't, then there is a curse on you. I'll stand here this morning, and I'll say the same thing. If you're here today, and you haven't repented of your sin, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, then God is angry with you. Right? God is not pleased. Right? God is not near to you if you're in that boat. He is very far from you. God is not reconciled to you if that's where you find yourself this morning. He is separated from you. Sin is a very serious thing. In the youth Sunday school lesson this morning, I know they talked about this. Um, so often, so often we see sin as, oh, I broke a rule. Right? We see sin as, oh, well, I did something I shouldn't do. What a, what a horrible misunderstanding of sin. To see your sin, for me to see my sin as simply, oh, I broke a rule, is to really not understand what sin is and who God is. Okay? The thing they heard this morning is that sin is a personal revolution against God. It is me revolting against, again, the holy, righteous, sovereign God of all creation. And that's what Paul is saying. Sin is a huge deal. Sin is a big deal, and it is a very big deal to God. And if we don't repent and we don't turn, right, turn to Jesus because Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God, if we don't do that, Paul says, you are an anathema, you are cursed, you are an enemy of God, and you are going to hell. That's what's going on in verse 22. So the question is, what does this look like, right? Forgiveness, what does that look like? And Paul's going to tell them. He's going to tell him in verse 23, but before he does, he uses this word, Maranatha, right? And again, that's an, that's an Aramaic word. It's not a Greek word, so you have to chase this a little bit. Um, that's why it's written there in its original Maranatha. Uh, it's, not, it's not translated. Here's what I learned about this word. Depending upon where you divide the word up, it changes in meaning a little bit. If you separate that word after, let me find it. If you separate this word before the T, so it's like Maranatha, it means come, O Lord, which makes sense here, right? Because the early church certainly prayed that way a lot. This prayer of, you know, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back, return, O Lord, come, O Lord. We talked about this Wednesday, or Chris talked about this Wednesday night, yeah, because um, I sat in his office earlier in the week and after reading this, and, and, and I said, Chris, I don't do this. I said, what a mistake on my part that, that I pray, God, man, take care of this in my life. God, fix this. God, help this. God, do this. God, do that. How about just God come back? Jesus, please come back. 
Instead of, instead of all of the worry about all these little things, maybe my prayer should be, Jesus, come back. Because you know what? When he comes back, all the little things are taken care of, right? Everything that's wrong is going to be made right, and everything that needs set straight is set straight. But we don't pray that way. I don't pray that way. Maybe you, you do. Okay, I won't put words in your mouth. I haven't, I haven't in the past prayed that way. And it's such a shame. And if you're not, I would encourage you that that would be a part of your prayer. And, and I don't know why we don't. I can only speak for why I haven't done that. I think sometimes that I think my marriage is so good that I want to experience something in my marriage that somehow it's better than Jesus coming back. That my kids graduating from college is such an achievement in their life. Jesus, please don't come back until they graduate from college because that certainly has to be better than eternity with you. Right? My career is on, a, is on the fast track to success. Please, Jesus, wait 10 years until I'm able to do this because I've just got to experience this thing the world offers so my life is complete. But yet, I think that's why we don't pray it because somehow we have this idea that anything we can experience here is somehow better than what that will be. You know, and what a, what a shallow understanding of Jesus and, and who he is and eternity in the presence of God for us not to pray that. And so we need to catch that in here, and, and I would. I would encourage you to think about that, right? Listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for God, you know, to enter into uh, our situations and to help us. That's, that's, that's biblical, right? But why don't we pray, man, Jesus, come back. Jesus, make it right. Jesus, come back. And so Chris and I did. We spent a lot of time talking about that. There's another meaning here as well. I told you if you separate it before the T, that's what it means. If you separate it right after the N, it takes on a totally new meaning. And it means our Lord has come, which is kind of a, a creedal declaration of the early church, right? That our Lord has come. And they both fit. They both work. They both make perfect sense. Um, and in context of, of verse 23, I really like our Lord has come, that Paul understands who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus has to offer. Because look at what he says in verse 23. Here's the answer to what forgiveness looks like. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That's what verse 23 is all about, right? He says, if you're a curse, if you're separated, if you're hopeless, if you're an anathema, how do you get your sin dealt with? There's how you get your sin dealt with. There's how sin is forgiven, right? It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are reconciled to God. Jesus loved us, loves us. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose again for us, right? We can have eternal life because of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by some works. Too many of us are, are trying to get ourselves cleaned up, trying to be good enough for God to accept. You need to stop doing that, all right? Quit doing that. You're never going to be good enough. I'll never be good enough. What we need is Jesus. And that's what Paul tells them. If you're an anathema, you need Jesus, right? That's what I'm telling you from this pulpit this morning. If you're cursed, if, if, if you do not have that type of relationship, right? If you've never repented of your sin, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, today you can, right? Because he's done everything. It's nothing that we do. It's a miracle of God, right? God has loved the unlovable, and Paul says that right there in verse 23, right? And so that's, again, my question. It's always my question. This is always a question from our pulpit. Do you know Jesus, right? Really know him. Do you really know him, and does he know you? Not, not did you walk an aisle or pray a prayer or fill out a card or do something else, right? But have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I think last Sunday night, well, I know last Sunday night I wasn't up here, but... 
they, they did the end of chapter 14 of Luke. And that's what it was all about. Jesus is saying, this is what it costs to be one of mine. Right? I think the first thing he says is, look, you can't be a believer and not a follower. I think there's a first thing that comes out of those verses. Jesus says, you cannot be a believer and not be a follower. So let me tell you what a follower looks like. Right? Let me tell you what the love of a follower looks like. And last Sunday night, they talked about that. And Jesus says, you know what? Comparatively, one of mine, one of my children, their love for me is so great, it makes their love for everyone else look like hatred. It doesn't mean you hate your mom and dad. It doesn't mean you hate your brother and sister. It means comparatively, your love for Christ is so much, it makes everything else look like that. Right? Have you surrendered your entire life to Jesus? Because if you haven't, you can. Today you can. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Look at the last verse with me, though. Because I want to say this. I don't do this enough. This is, this is great how Paul does this. I should do this more. He says, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say this morning that I love you. Okay? I tell the kids that a lot. I'm with them a lot. Um, I want you to know I love this church. And I love you. And, and if I ever do a poor job of communicating that to you, by all means, be what I said you should be at the beginning of the sermon, and in love, come up and say, Joe, you don't communicate that real well, okay? Because I want to communicate that. I do. I want you to know that I love you. I love serving here. I, I do. I, I, I love serving here because I love you. So thank you all. Um, it's frustrating sometimes. Sometimes I want to let my hair grow out just so I can pull it out, but that has nothing to do with the fact of how much that I love you. And I, and I like the way Paul ends that letter uh, in that way, and I hope that you know that, um, that you are loved. So two big things went on in these last four verses. One is this idea uh, of community, the importance of community, right, that we are part of something that's very, very big, uh, much bigger than just what goes on here. I'm not saying that what we do isn't important, uh, but when we gather here as a group of 400, we need to know that we are gathering as the, as the global church, worshiping and praising the God of the universe. Um, and the other thing that's big is that we need to share the gospel with those who are, in Paul's words, an anathema, that those who are separated from God, right? That's the mission that we've been given, is to share the gospel, because the world needs Jesus. The world needs it, and we have both the honor and the responsibility of sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost world world. And so that's, that's what I just want to say to you this morning as we close up, because we're about, we're about finished, is if you're sitting there today and, and you realize, you know what, the truth of the matter is, God is not near to me. God is very far. Right? That I've not been reconciled from God. I am separated. God is not pleased with me. God is angry. Right? Because I have never repented of my sin. I have never trusted Jesus. Right? I've never really trusted. If you've never done that, I want you to know today you can. Right? And I would, encourage you, I would encourage you that when Aaron comes in a few minutes and as we stand and as we begin to sing, if you have questions about that, you want to know what that looks like, you want to know what that means, you don't understand any of that I'm talking to you about, you come down, I'll talk to you about it. Brad is here. Brad would love to talk to you about it. Okay? You come down. And we will talk to you about that. If you have other questions this morning, right, questions about church membership. It's been really uh, just, just great to see. I don't know any other way to put it. 
great to see over the last many weeks um, so many folks who have committed to make First Baptist Church their local church, right? And to plug in here and to serve here and to be a part of this local community. If you're not a part of a local community, a local church, you need to be. I'm going to talk about that tonight a little bit in Luke. You need to come back tonight, okay? I'm telling you, there's some really cool stuff in, in chapter 15. One of them is this picture of the lost sheep. I'm not going to give the whole thing away because then you wouldn't have to come. But the parable of the lost sheep, when the shepherd finds a sheep, the shepherd brings it back. You know what the shepherd brings the sheep back to? The flock. You know why? Because we need a flock. We need a community of brothers and sisters because we can't do this alone. And so this morning, if you're not part of a local church and you have questions about that, come down. We would love to talk to you about that. As always, the altar is open. Uh, if you need to just come down and kneel and pray, you do that. But if you have a reason this morning to come, um, I would encourage you to come. Stand with me and we will pray. And then Aaron will lead us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today and for this time. Um, God, for... God, for tearing my heart out and giving me a new one. And God, while there are certainly times that I run from you when my focus is on self and it's on this world, um, that you are a Father who loves me and calls me back. God, I know what it means to be near you, to be reconciled to you, God, I pray this morning that there are those here that do not know that, do not know you as their loving Father, Father who created them, who has pursued them, Father that wants to rescue them. Um, that God, that right now, uh, that you would just pour yourself into their hearts, that God, you would speak to them loudly and clearly. Um, that God, that you would open their eyes, they would see that they need you. God, in a group this size, there are, there are a lot of people with a lot of things going on. And God, often we get caught up day to day in our lives, living our lives, not knowing that, Father, um, all we're doing is distrusting you. And instead of being obedient to your word and your will and, and your desires in our lives, God, we inject our own thoughts and ideas and what that looks like, and then we live our lives in that way, and God, that is sin. And God, if there are, if there are folks here this morning, um, God, uh, are far from you, are running from you, God, open their eyes, show them their sin. And God, call to them as a father uh, who loves them, passionately loves them and wants them to come back to you. Um, God, speak to our hearts this morning. We love you so much, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.